And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement. On this beautiful, rather windy and a little rainy weekend. Oh boy, we could use some rain around here in the Tampa Bay area. Show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We're the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it correctly, you want to do it properly, you want to take the stress out of it. Legal, planning, investing, one stop retirement planning. We've been doing this now for well over 40 years. Let us help you. Let us show you how easy it is. Come and see us. Come and see us. Website address is grahamcapitaladvisors.com. That's grahamcapitaladvisors.com. Come and see us. We have offices now in Tampa and Sarasota. Jack McQuaid down there in, in Sarasota could help you out and up here in our office in Tampa on Kennedy Boulevard, you know, you'll see Mike Burkhan and Keith Poland, and you see me going back and forth like a yo-yo between the offices. So come and see us. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And with that, I don't know if you saw this in the news lately. We always start to start to start off every show with a little levity, but I don't know if you saw this one. A family in Cambridge, Ontario. It recently re- welcomed a new baby, ready for this, weighing 14 pounds, 8 ounces. 14 pounds, 8 ounces. That's the biggest baby recorded since 2010. And he was, he's almost exactly twice the size of the average newborn. And if you're wondering, yes, he was delivered by C-section. 14 pounds. My gosh, that's a big, big baby. Fun fact of the week, people in Africa and Asia – they walk as an average 3.7 miles a day just to collect water. So every time you turn that spigot on in your sink, there are people that are walking 3.7 miles to do the same thing you're doing. Don't tell me it's not great to be an American. My gosh. Quote of the week. Preparation for old age should be given no later than one's teens. A life which is empty of purpose until 65 will not suddenly become fulfilled upon retirement. Oh, really? And on the board, we have the infamous James Berlander, our producer. Good morning to you. Good morning. How's it going today? Pretty good. I guess you heard what I just said. You know, your life will be empty unless you start doing a bunch of crazy stuff. So by the time you're 65, you can say, boy, I'm glad that's over with. Okay. It's not going to be filled in retirement. You better start doing it now. Mm-hmm. How are those bitcoins going for you? Uh, I'm I'm down, but thankfully I don't even have uh, a lot of money in it, so I'm good. Okay, um, yeah, I, we're worried about you, Jimbo. Okay, crime of the week. It's impossible to count all the federal crimes on the books. People have been doing it for years, and we don't want you to be in a sticky situation. Drum roll. It's a federal crime to import a hippopotamus without a signed hippopotamus health certificate. So just in case you got a hippo coming to your house, you better get that certified health certificate. Good God. History lesson of the week. 
November 18, 1872, Susan B. Anthony was arrested after voting in Rochester, New York. She was found guilty and paid a fine of a hundred bucks. Okay, you know, these women, it's all changed, Jim, ever since women start voting. I don't know about that. But let's look at financial lessons that you're going to see at Thanksgiving. And let's continue our annual tradition of reviewing what Thanksgiving traditions can teach. Teach us about, about financial planning. We do this every year. And what do we have every year? The Detroit Lions losing. <laughs> the Lions have been playing football on Thanksgiving for 90 years, and yet they're still not great at it. In the past 20 years, they've won only five of their Thanksgiving games. Just because you've been doing something for a long time, it doesn't mean that you're an expert at it. When it comes to financial planning, many people see themselves as an expert because they've been putting money into a 401k for decades. But are they really? No, they're not. No, they're not. Remember, everyone has a center of excellence in something, in something. And money is something you don't want to pretend you're an expert at. Get professional guidance. Go to a fiduciary. You know, come to GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com and we'll help you with it. Another thing for lessons during Thanksgiving, family members arguing. Oh, that's always a good one. For some families, arguing about political and cultural topics, it's usually a routine, an annual routine during Thanksgiving holiday. It's amazing to see how people have been so close for their entire lives, but can sometimes end up seeing the world in completely different ways. But if you think these arguments can be intense, you should see what often happens once family members are dealing with the estate of a deceased loved one. Even for families who have always gotten along, this process can create unbelievable, I mean, unbelievable amounts of conflict, you know, sadly, sometimes ending in relationships that are beyond repair, they're fractured. And I tell everybody, doing what we do as an estate planner, please have it in writing. Don't have your kids decide to make decisions on anything, because if they have to make decisions on something, then, you know, you bring in, you bring in the outlaws. You know, the difference between in-laws and outlaws only one of them is wanted. You know, it's hard enough for your own kids to decide amongst themselves what they want to do. But my gosh, when you start bringing in a daughter-in-law and son-in-law, all bets are off the table. Make sure you have your house in order and everything is signed, sealed, and delivered. Thanksgiving, what else do we have? We have the Westminster Dog Show. Every year we talk about it. It's insanely expensive to raise show dogs. People think, well, get a pooch. These people spend a fortune on these animals. Number one, you have to buy a purebred puppy. Then you have to hire professional trainers. Then you feed the dog the most expensive food in the world, not table scraps. You pay for constant grooming, and you travel to dozens of regional dog shows, even before you're making it to Westminster. Most dogs at Westminster, they end up costing their owners. Want to take a guess how much, Jim? You know what? Eh, I'm going to say thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, you're on the low side. A quarter of a million dollars a year. Oh, wow. Hey, why am I calling you, Jim? Your name is James. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know. I okay. used to go by Jim Jimbo. a long time ago. long time ago. Okay, Jimbo. Okay, look, it's a great reminder that different people, they, they have different wildly priorities with how they want to spend their money. 
you know, that's not necessarily a right thing or a wrong thing to do, but it's important that you clearly define what your spending priorities are. So you can actually get a financial plan that can actually reflect your priorities. You know, get, get, get something down, have a roadmap to follow. Think about if you're in a strange city and there are no street signs and you don't have a GPS, how are you going to know where to go? You need that little voice saying, make a left, make a right. Good gosh. Again, get professional guidance. Go to a fiduciary. Graham Capital Advisors, that's what we are. We're just as concerned about your retirement as you are. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Okay, one more thing. Thanksgiving. Let's be thankful. Let's be thankful. You know, even though sometimes it gets forgotten that thanks, you know, we focus on food, family, football. The entire point of this holiday is to reflect and be thankful for what you have. Well, you might not feel that you're, you're, you need to be financially that way. It's important to understand that the wealth that you do enjoy, and and, and if you're listening, you know, listening to me right now, it's nearly guaranteed that you're probably among the, let's say, the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. And a high percentage of these people listening right now are the top 1% globally. But the bottom line is you're not in the bottom 90%. So look how lucky you are just to be an American, be able to celebrate Thanksgiving, be with your loved ones, and know you have the basic necessities where you don't have to walk 3.7 miles just to get a drink of water like, like they do in Africa and Asia, for crying out loud. You know, we're so blessed to be in this country. We truly are. Sadly, so much with these politicians in Washington, we take so much, so much for granted, and, and we really shouldn't. Hey, let me just throw some questions out there, questions that, that you know, you can't really answer. And when it comes to planning for retirement, let me just throw this one at you. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know. James, I'll, I'll throw it at you. All right. Okay. You could be my little pillbox here. What is the next, when is the next market crash going to happen? Market crashes are typically unpredictable. However, I think if inflation continues and the CPI reports keep on showing a slow incline of it, even though we're seeing a slight decline right now, that's when I think we'll go into a recession. And that's when the market will crash. Well, that's a good thing. I, I agree with you 100% on that one. Now, fortunately, inflation now is going down a little bit, so hopefully that will continue. But that's a good answer. What do you think healthcare costs are going to look like in 20 years, Jim? They're going up. I mean, I know mine are going up, and I and I, I try to take good care of myself. But even though I'm healthy, everything's on the rise. That is 100%. You get an A-plus. I'll stick it on your forehead for when I see you. Okay, A-plus. Absolutely. Healthcare costs and go up on infinitum. Back in 1990, I helped open one of the first long-term care offices in the state of Florida. And I thought long-term care insurance was the best thing since sliced bread. And then a year or so later, the prices went up 20%. I said, how can this possibly be? These people just got these things. And well, you know what the state of Florida tells me? Well, then healthcare costs go up. So does your premium. So what is that? That means long-term care insurance is like putting a Band-Aid on a big wound because one of two things will happen every two or three years. You will get an increase in your premium, what you're paying, you're going to have to cut your benefits because health care costs only go up, period. End of story. And you got to remember that when you're planning. 
Uh, James, what, what will you think the tax rate will be three presidents from now? Honestly, I think it's going to be just about the same. If not, it'll adjust a little bit uh, because I know a lot of people are right now feeling uh, the, uh, the battles of inflation. So I know what you know. I know what my bracket is, and I know my bracket has been adjusted in the past uh, decade, at least. Well, that's it. The only the only big adjustment we've had in 2017, we had the tax cuts. Unfortunately, they only help people that showed that they made more than four hundred thousand dollars a year. How does that affect the average person? Good gosh. Okay, and I guess the one question we all ask ourselves is, how long are you going to live? You look at genes, you look at your hereditary lifestyles with your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. I'm probably only going to live until I'm like 37. <laughs> I'm 36 oh, yeah. right now. Okay, well. But that's only know, because don't, I'm, don't... I'm going to jump out of an airplane sometime uh, in the oh, next oh, year. Or so. that's I was wondering if you're going to pull a John Belushi or Robin Williams or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're a funny guy, but I mean, you don't want to take it to a limit, you know. So, oh boy, I tell you, look, there's so much out there that people need to think of, be aware of, be cognizant of when it comes to retirement planning. And and our company, Graham Capital Advisors, we focus on legal, making sure your legal documents are in order, current, up to date. You have your beneficiaries down there. You know what's going to be happening. You get yourself a good revocable trust with all the necessary ancillary documents, legal, planning, investing. Planning, you make sure you go to a certified financial planner. In our office, we got several of them. Get a plan, a written plan. So if you get off the road, you know to get back on the road again. That's where the GPS comes in. Good gosh. And then last but not least, you invest for retirement. It's something you've never done in your life. You spent an entire life accumulating monies every two weeks. Something goes into your 401k every two weeks. You buy low, you buy high, you buy low, you buy high. By the time you retire, you like to think you'd be on the high side. The reality of it is that you have to make sure that you have a plan where you don't lose it once you retire because you go from wealth accumulation to wealth preservation. Totally different way of investing. And you try to go to some people that actually know how to do that correctly. And we've been doing it well over well over 40 years now. We have we're actually well we're over now well over a half a billion dollars of assets between assets under management now and 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 insurance investments. Let us show you how easy it is, but you have to do it for retirement. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Jimbo, we got the mailbag. What kind of questions we got today? Yes, yes. So Sam in North Sarasota wrote in. He said, I have a rental property that gives me some nice income, but it also gives me a lot of headaches. What kind of return should I be getting from something uh, like that to make it worth the headache? <laughs> worth the headache? Sam, okay, sounds like I got a personal problem here. I always tell people, if your head is hurting... If your head is hurting, I have a suggestion. Stop hitting the wall with it. Money is important, but you don't want to keep putting yourself in a position where you feel miserable all the time. My gosh, there's other ways to get income, passive income. You're making money while you sleep. That's investing, investing for retirement. We can show you how to do that. 
You do not have to worry about tenants busting up your place or, or leaving and owing your money. Good gosh. Rental property is a responsibility. It's a great way to get income, but you got a lot of work to do with that. How do I know that? Because I owned a lot of it at one time, and you have to really want to have, really want to do it. Believe me. My suggestion is you sell the property and you invest your money properly, and get some passive income coming in. Make it while you're sleeping, Sam. Good question. What else you got there? Next up is Billy in Apollo Beach. He wrote in. I just found out that I can qualify for a much bigger mortgage than I initially anticipated. But common sense tells me that maybe I shouldn't necessarily buy the most expensive house that I could qualify for. How do you guide people on this? That's a good question. Because traditionally, if I have a younger person, I tell them to buy the biggest possible piece of property they can buy. As long as they know they can somehow pay that mortgage off. And why is that? Because they're young enough to get true appreciation out of the property that they purchase. Real estate only traditionally goes up. In our office, more people have become millionaires, multimillionaires buying real estate than they even have with stocks and bonds. So that's one investment that is safe because it doesn't have the ups and downs of the market. The crash we had in 2018, that was a once in a lifetime crash. It does not happen. That does not happen. And they put so many safeguards in place after that, it will never happen again. But the bottom line is, though, that you try to make a mortgage that you feel comfortable paying. But when it comes to what you should buy, I always recommend the most expensive place you can buy, as long as you can make the mortgage. Because when inflation sets in, appreciation sets in, you're going to be making money again while you're sleeping. Good question. Any more? Yep. Last one comes from Mary down in Longboat Key. She wrote in, I've heard that you should set a goal to save 15% of your income towards retirement. This seems incredibly daunting and quite frankly, impossible to me. Is it really necessary to save that much? Mary, no, it's not. 15% is, is, is on the high side, to be honest with you. Most people have a hard time even saving 10%. Long story short, the more that you could save, the more that you're going to have for retirement or possibly even take an early retirement. You have to dictate that. You have to dictate that. You have to live a life also, not deprive yourself of basic necessities just to save for retirement. So it's something that you have to look at in the mirror. Get a yellow pad out with a pen, draw a big T on one side of the T, put all your income coming in, what you have coming in. Then the other side of the T, you put all of your your, your bills that you have that you have to meet every month, make sure you can meet them. Make sure you have your entertainment money paid for vacation money. And then the rest of it you could save, but it is important. You save something. You have to start saving something. You'd be amazed if you could save money, how quickly it grows for you after 10 or 20 years. You'd be amazed. Good question. And online, we have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. It's been an incredible start for the month. The S&P 500 now, it's, it's starting to tread water a little bit, but it looks like it was a $2.7 trillion rally. So what's the status of the markets right now? Well, look, I mean, the markets have certainly seen a rally. It's been a great start to the month. The prospect of lower interest rates on the backs of 
uh, uh, lighter inflation reports than I think a lot of people were expecting. And look, we, we've been talking and we have talked on numerous occasions over the last couple of quarters and inflation is coming down. Uh, and I know some people might not necessarily be feeling that uh, because the overall rise in the price of goods and services, say from a two to three year time frame is materially higher. The rate of inflation is coming down, and it has. And you saw that again last week and then separately a few days ago on two separate inflation reports. And so the market is seeing these inflation reports, and now they are repricing the odds of a further rate hike. And then they're moving up the time frame of a rate cut. And this is something – this was a risk that we had talked about maybe two or three weeks ago in that – you have a generation of investors who only invest based off of interest rate movements. It's because the Federal Reserve always has their back. They'll keep interest rates zero bound if they need to. They'll do quantitative easing, anything to prop up financial markets. And that's basically what you saw uh, the operations were through the 2010s and then separately through the first three years of 20, the 2020 decade. Um, but I don't think people are asking the question of, well, why is inflation starting to accelerate lower? And I don't, and then I think we got our answer towards the end of this past week, which showed a weaker labor market than what anyone was expecting. Uh, you saw both jobless claims, both initial and continuing, grow and remain at elevated levels, especially the continuing jobless claims. Uh, and then you, you separately saw a weak labor market report uh, that missed expectations, and then that were actually revised lower going back the last couple of uh, last couple of months. So all right. in all, you have an economy that is slowing. The question is, when does it really start to come under pressure? You haven't seen it yet. I mean, hey, look, you'll get third quarter GDP numbers, David, and you saw the market higher. Or you saw the GDP higher materially, Uh, but it's starting to give out and you're starting to see companies like Walmart, who very recently issued a pretty stern warning and their stock fell 8%. And this is Walmart. Walmart is not a volatile company. And after they issued their warnings guidance, this is going to be a weak holiday season. Their stock fell 8%. Would you say Walmart's a buy for long-term investors? Well, look, I, I, I would say I'll put my fiduciary cap on and say none of what I'm saying is investment advice, but you need to talk to your advisor to see if a equity, a retail equity like Walmart, even if it's a defensively positioned, low volatile, strong balance sheet retailer that will be there, will be here 10 to 20 years from now, um, no questions asked. It depends if owning equities is a part of your goal. If it's not, then you don't want to own equities. Uh, sure. Again, it depends on your risk tolerance, and that's why I need to talk to your advisor, your respective advisor, and, and see if uh, uh, equities or investments like that are fit your, your investment goals and objectives. Right. Well, look, we have right now, when you look at where the market is, we had a nice rally to start with, but now you have piles and piles of derivative contracts that are tied to stocks and, and indexes, and they're maturing right now. So do you think that's going to cause any – amplify any kind of market instability? Um, it could. It could. Uh, I think the bigger issue, and, and this is what we're starting to see, and it's not necessarily in financial markets just yet, is you're starting to notice a growing level of default rates in small and mid-sized businesses on bank loans. 
right. and they are at loans or at rates now that if you look back at the last 30 years, you've seen it a couple times uh, in terms of 40% default rates. But the issue is those rates are, or those default levels are now uh, have been associated again through the last 30 years to two other occasions that you see default rates on bank loans for small and mid-sized businesses hit, hit these levels. The last two times, or the two times they did hit in the last 30 years, was each associated with the recession, the dot-com bubble and the great financial crisis. And they're right. increasing. It's, it's not like this is just petering. They're continuing to increase. And I think intuitively that makes sense because loans now, levered bank loans, are now at 10 to 11%. Businesses just can't simply take on that level of expense. And right. this is something you've seen at the household level. This is something you're seeing at the business level. And this is all coming at a time when you see 40% of the Russell 2000 have negative earnings. They're not profitable. They do not generate a profit. And that is extremely worrisome. Because typically, you see those types of numbers on the back end of recessions and we're seeing it really at the early stages of one. Right, right. Well, that's that's the question. And, you know, I was looking at a remark by Michael Barr, the Federal Reserve vice chair, and he ba- and he basically said that right now the, the, the campaign that they've been on to raise interest rates, you know, for inflation, it's it's cooling now. And if that's the case and they're not going to be raising interest rates, I would tend to believe that that's going to have a positive impact on the on the markets in the long run, wouldn't it? Well, right. And so this is this is why when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, you have to be cognizant that there are material lags in how monetary policy impacts the underlying economy. And again, this is something we've warned listeners about uh, at least on five or six different occasions over the last five or six months. The meaty portion of the interest rate hikes happened in the late summer, early fall of 2022. And there generally is a three to four quarter lag in terms of when interest rate hikes have a impact, whether positive or negative, on the economy. Now, we know when you raise interest rates, money becomes more expensive. Businesses are more reluctant to spend or invest. Uh, and that obviously has a negative impact on labor markets. Uh, and these separately, you have the dynamics that, uh, in addition to businesses not wanting to spend or invest or borrow, just in general, uh, right. people's household expenses get more expensive because if they're using their credit card, and we know we have a historically high credit card balance now, uh, nominally across all American households, and they're rolling over, they're rolling over at 20 to 20, 25%. That is extremely expensive compared to historical norms, and it means that you're going to have to use future earnings or more a greater portion of future earnings that you receive from your job to pay that interest service or that back debt down. Sure. Well, you know, you you work you focus quite a bit on retirement planning, retirement investing, which is you know wealth preservation. So you you invest conservatively. And now I was looking at where PIMCO, they feel now that this is going to be a prime time for fixed income in 2024. Uh, you know, investment grade bonds now have seen three straight weeks of, of inflows. That's according to the Bank of America. And uh, 
So the outlook is starting to look much brighter in that that uh, sector. Don't you agree? Well, it depends. So it depends on what you want to own. I think broadly, uh, it might be a favorable asset class in 2024. I mean, look, when you look at the last three to five years, it's been terrible. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's been terrible. Uh, and I think if you're going to invest in investment-grade corporate bonds or high-grade corporate bonds, uh, in my opinion, you need to maintain a short duration or a, uh, a, a near-term timeline for that bond. Uh, sure, you could probably make money investing in a 10-year or a 20-year corporate bond, but you're taking a lot of interest rate risk. If we see another supply shock, a further escalation in war anywhere around the world, you're going to see inflation spike a quarter or two, three to six months. And that would have a negative impact on the longer end of the yield curve, and that could possibly hurt your corporate bonds. That's what you're seeing this year. Uh, corporate bonds, all in all, have continued to lag this year in 2023 after a terrible 2022. Um, and again, so I think if you want to invest in corporate bonds, we have a lot of exposure to corporate bonds, but we're talking 24 months and in, in a lot of cases, 12 months and in. Um, so I think from that front, if you do want exposure to the corporate bonds, I think you need to focus on quality and you need to focus on a shorter timeline so you can decrease those shocks in in inflation if they were to come up um because again that would have a negative impact on the longer into the yield curve much less so the shorter end of the yield curve sure well look when it comes to bonds most most individual investors they know some basics about bonds you know they know that the the that diversifying the diversifying role you know, with, with fixed income, it plays plays well in a portfolio. They know that bonds generally are less risky than stocks, and they know that the cardinal rule of, of investing you know, in credit when yields go up, prices go down. But you, you ask them to go much further, and and many of them, you know, balk, but they're not really sure. So let me ask this. Why specifically are yields and prices inversely related? Sure. So... Um, they are inversely related because when you have an existing bond, you know what your rate of return is. It's the, generally the coupon of the investment. Um, as interest rates move, say you own a 3% bond, okay? The coupon rate is 3%, and you right. bought it two years ago when interest rates were basically nothing. Uh, and now interest rates are 55 to 6%. In order for that 3% coupon paying bond to be attractive and consistent with a market where you're paying 55 to 6%, you have to lower the price of that bond uh, to make it a that three to turn that 3% coupon into a 55 to 6% paying instrument. Again, to be consistent with the rest of the fixed income market. Um, and so that's why you see bond prices move because the coupon rate, again, is contractual. It, it, right. at, at the birth of the bond, that rate is fixed. It's fixed forever, but the price will fluctuate. And from that, the yield to maturity or the yield to worst uh, will adjust off that price. And so again, if you're trying to make a 3% coupon paying corporate bond, which there are a plethora of right now, 
and you are trying to make it a five and a half to six percent coupon paying bond, then you need to lower the price and lower the price pretty darn materially from par value, which is a thousand for every traditional corporate bond. Sure. Well, you know, you know, when you look at the bond market, you know, we're focusing a little bit on bonds, but I know this is something you have an expertise in. You know, bond sales now are becoming a bigger deal than stocks. Uh, and, you know, or looking at in indicators like uh, like uh, U.S. jobs data, for example, uh, you know, the, the days of debt sales are kind of, kind of a new event risk for equity. So I, I guess the, the issue is, again, when you have a client that is diversifying for, for, for a portfolio for retirement purposes, what kind of bonds specifically would you be would you be recommending strictly short term bonds? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, again, you don't need to take on a lot of risk in markets due to inflation or interest rate risks. Uh, you can collect a good yield over a two to three year time span. Uh, I, that is one of the big dynamics, one of the shifts in financial markets these last 10 months, really compared to the last 20 to 30 years. You're able to invest in quality corporate bonds and generate a 6% return annually. So right. you haven't seen that. Again, it, it, you have not seen that over the last 30 years, maybe one time, and that would have been in the mid-1990s. Uh, you just haven't seen it. And when you think about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which is the oldest equity index in the United States, it goes back to the late 1800s. The annualized rate of return of the Dow Jones, Adjust, Dow Jones Industrial Average, depending on what you do with the dividend, the cash dividend, is roughly between three or 7.3 and 7.5%. So if I can generate a 6% yield on a short-dated corporate bond, limit my interest rate risk, and I do take reinvestment risk, that is a risk, but I think out of all the risks right now, that's the one I'm willing to take. Um, to generate 6% while taking much less risk compared to say 7.3 to 7.5% for an equity investment, I think the value is skewed very favorably towards that short dated corporate bond. Yes, six is not as much as seven, but I'm taking a lot less risk to get to that six. And right. again, that's why I think the relative value is very skewed. And again, this is not something we've seen for multiple decades and I think it's going to be one of the contributing factors to a broader market sell-off in 2024 and really a lackluster rebound in the stock market because there are plenty of alternatives for someone's money, especially if you are someone retired or approaching retirement where your focus is supplemental income, taking all the assets you have and generating supplemental income to to provide money to maintain your household and your lifestyle, uh, you're very lucky in that if you're retiring now and you haven't lost 20 to 30% over the last couple of years, like a lot of others have, you're coming into a great situation where you can monetize those assets and get pretty good rates of return compared to historical norms. Uh, and again, not have that excess risk that uh, a lot of people had to take two to three years ago if they were retiring because interest rates were basically zero bound. Right, right. Well, you, 
I know also that you focus on the energy market. And one of the big things that you hear these talking heads on right wing radio always saying is, oh, we need to explore more for oil. We're not doing enough exploration and all that. And, you know, as well as I do, that our oil exploration is at a all time high, even much higher than when Trump was in office. The, the issue is now it's production because we don't have enough refineries. And I, I was just looking recently where we have literally a record number of super tankers that are headed to the U.S. to collect U.S. oil. So knowing all that and knowing the fact that crude production has dropped about 20 percent since the year is high in September, uh, where, do you, where do you see the price of gasoline going? We got oil. We just can't refine it. So it depends. You're right. So it depends on gasoline demand. Um, and I think that is going to be the big question over the next five years. I think that is one. It's going to be one of the most compelling stories, in my opinion. Look, you've seen oil prices fall 20 percent over the last month and a half to two months. Uh, and that is because there are global concerns of a larger slowdown not just here in the U.S., but globally, uh, specifically out of China. Some of the economic data out of China this last month or two right. months have been extremely worrisome. Uh, you know, right now, I would say refining capacity of oil for gasoline is probably around 18 million barrels a day. And, and that's fine. But when you factor when you factor in and say you look back at, say, I don't know, the last 50 years, that rate is not good. Uh, it's very poor. And again, we talked about this a week ago. The reason why the amount of refiners, you would figure that if there was a lot of demand and refining capacity was tight for gasoline, uh, that you would see a lot of people investing. And you're just not seeing it. You're seeing gasoline refining go down over the last 20 years. And that's right. been a very con, uh, consistent slowdown or just just fall in capacity. And I don't think it's coming back. Uh, people are very reluctant to invest, and whether it's due to regulatory or the capital expenditures needed to be able to do it. So this is going to be a very interesting time because I could certainly see a situation where, say, oil prices fall another 10 to 15 percent, but then gasoline prices don't move. And so then you have people wondering, well, wait a minute, gasoline prices remain elevated, but the price of oil is down. Why is that happening? And the answer to that is it's the refining capacity and how it's continuing to decline. And a lot of these refineries separately are 30 to 40 years old. They're yeah, getting pretty old. So just even their, their ability to produce as they age uh, with lack of investment, you know, that capacity is going to wane off over time. Sure. One last question. You know, U.S. mortgage rates now, they, they've fallen for the third straight week. And an amazing phenomena, the share of Americans who own mortgage-free homes is at an all-time high. And it's hard to believe, but almost 40% of U.S. homeowners, they own their homes outright as of, as of last year. And most of them are, you know, baby boomers my age that refinance when rates were low and just threw money at the loans to pay them off. Where do, you, where do you see the, the, the home market going now with interest rates as they are? Well, so the question is supply. Uh, we know demand is very, very weak. And we know that even though 
mortgage rates have fallen materially over the last week and a half as interest rates have come down. They're still at seven and a half percent levels, which is expensive and punitive for where prices are right now. Uh, you're gonna need prices to come down. So how do we do that? If demand is weak and prices aren't going down materially, that means there's no supply. And that's not that's not new. I mean, we know that. Uh, but you're not going to see supply for another three to four months at a minimum. Usually it's March or April. Uh, it's a very, there is a seasonality to that. People don't want to sell their house and move during the holidays, whether it's school, whether you just don't see it. It happens in the spring and summer months. Um, and so from that, the supply, again, we expect supply to increase in, say, three to five months. The question is, are mortgages still going to be starting at a seven handle? Are they going to be over 7%? And that's going to be the true test because if we do get a material amount of supply and we have mortgages at 7%, I don't believe demand's coming back. Uh, right. Again, that there's an affordability issue. And so then what does that mean? You need to see price cuts. You need to come down to the level they can afford your respective house. And when one person sells, that impacts the people right around them in the neighborhood. And so then you could see a cumulative fall. And it's important, and I'm glad you asked about homes. We mentioned this two months ago, and I think it's important. A recent Federal Reserve member actually mentioned this in an interview in the, uh, about three or four weeks ago. The American citizen is very cognizant of the price of their home. They see for sale signs in their neighborhood, and then they obviously talk to each other, and they hear – Oh, that house went for fifty thousand less than what they were asking, or you know, a hundred thousand less than they were asking, and the home was on for you know three or four months. That makes them very cautious about their own home prices. And right. as we've seen in numerous white papers from the Federal Reserve, if the average American household believes the value of their house is going to fall over the next year or two, they're going to be more reluctant to spend. It's not necessarily the stock market that is a big driver of consumption. I mean, it helps, no doubt, without question. But the magnitude of movements in home prices is bigger than movements in the stock market. And so if you believe in 2024 that home prices will come down because of the dynamics we were just talking about, that would only be a further headwind on consumption. And consumption that has already shown pockets of weakness and in some cases, material weakness for the last couple of quarters. So again, consumption is important. We are a consumption-based economy. About 70 to 75% of our economy is based off of consumption of goods and services. And so if you believe that the American household is taking on numerous headwinds, whether it is growing debt, student loan repayments, uh, various expenses due to inflation, uh, even though inflation is coming down, again – it's still up 20 to 25% to where we were two years ago. Right. There are just several dynamics impacting the American household right now. And if that means consumption's lower in the coming quarters, like maybe some of these companies like Walmart are warning, that's right. not going to bode well for our economy. Well said, Stosh. As always, we appreciate your sound sage advice. And let's see how it wraps up. We're going into the holiday season now. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you calling in. Absolutely. Take care. Take care now. If you're a new listener, you're listening to Stosh Graham. He is the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. And 
He's responsible for over a half a billion dollars of financial investments, and he's not. He's paid never to be wrong. And guess what? When the market was down 15% last year, he wasn't. He wasn't. Basically breaking even. Can you say that about your advisor? So let me just say this to you. Who you're just listening to, would you like him to manage your assets? He's pretty good at it. Let us help you. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. Let Stash help you with your portfolio. Get You truly deserve the best of the best. And he can give that to you. Go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life? Go help someone. God's going to smile on you. You're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. And God, we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. We'll see you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute Institute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.